and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Good morning, welcome. Uh, thanks for all uh, those, particularly friends across the world who uh, have been listening to our talks on isms and sending some encouragement. Glad we're able to help and we'll carry on a little bit today. You know, the more I look at it and want to review it and carry on is, you know, the list of eons, vegetarian, ists, socialist, it is, Christianity, which have become isms, is so extensive that I personally find it quite disturbing. Remember, once the ian, ist, or itty becomes an ism, it distorts the original message into a distinctive doctrine, has a discriminatory attitude, an abnormal state of excess, and adherence to a system. Isms are everywhere, and their message tends to be convert or die in one form or another. So let me read you again my incomplete but powerfully illustrative list of isms, and you'll see how far this thing goes. Catholicism, Anglicanism, Calvinism, Armenianism, Evangelicalism, Methodism, Pentecostalism, Mormonism, Judaism, Hinduism, Sikhism, Buddhism, Taoism, Atheism, Agnosticism, Hedonism, Darwinism, Fundamentalism, Vegetarianism, Veganism, Conservatism, Socialism, Liberalism, Communism, Capitalism, Marxism, Thatcherism, Corbynism, Unionism, colonialism, globalism, activism, ageism, feminism, environmentalism, sexism, racism, stoicism, platonism, dualism, fatalism, individualism, materialism, realism, conformism, objectionism, vandalism, barbarianism, colloquialism, plagiarism, impressionism, alcoholism, antagonism, protagonism, Establishment, establishmentarianism. Isms are everywhere. And that is not an exhaustive list, which is why I'm trying to raise your awareness to when an ian, uh, uh, an ist or an itty becomes an ism is when the problem becomes. Now, my question was and is, has Christianity and indeed society been distilled into a mere compilation of developed isms? If there's one thing I've learned about isms, it's that every ism creates a schism. 
no matter how right you believe your cause to be. Could loosely identify our previous talks on this subject as the search for belonging, about tribe and groupthink, the search for identity, about finding my place. I see this one today as the search for meaning. You'll see why as we go along. In the video, it's a trailer for a, a stage show called Art. And it's about a man who pays $200,000 for a painting that is simply white on a canvas. It introduces us to the form of art known as minimalism. <laughs> but it's about much more than that. We see three friends, one who finds the whole thing ridiculous, well, why wouldn't you? An absurd, one who probably sees his life reflected back at him, the guy who says, I've been a failure at everything, I'm just getting married. But I like it, well, I can see why he likes it. And then there's one who values it beyond what most of us would think is reasonable or sensible to the point of paying $200,000 for it. And so you see in the last little clip of the trailer how the guy in the middle is deadly serious of what this means. The other two kind of catch the funny side of it and the absurdity. Now, to most, looking at this idea of paying $200,000 for a, a white canvas is simply reveals the epitome of stupid. But on deeper examination, I've had to think about this because when I first looked at this subject and Chris brought me the videos, I thought, well, it's just stupid, isn't it? You know, I mean, nothing is nothing and you can't make nothing be anything other than nothing. It's stupid. But on deeper examination, I have to admit, I changed my mind. Because does the white canvas actually say more about many of us than we might first see or accept. See, minimalism was a reaction to abstract expressionism. Key word being reaction to. Which was a reaction to surrealism. Which was a reaction to expressionism. Which was a reaction to impressionism. Which was a reaction to Realism, which was a reaction to Romanticism, which was a reaction to Neoclassicalism, which was a reaction to Classicalism in all its varying forms, Baroque and Renaissance and Gothic, and Claire will be familiar with all of these. Right up your street today, Claire. Now, I have to say, I have no problem with any individual who wishes to be a minimalist. But once it becomes minimalism... It has evolved into a dogma just as destructive as the one it arose to replace. And so is the case with all isms. And so I want to use this illustration from art today as a model of life itself. We may underestimate just how much the search for meaning is at work consciously and subconsciously within our human journey. Think of the impact of isms... Oh, one of the best, I mustn't miss this bit, one of, one, one of the best expressions of the frustrations that are expressed so poignantly and poetically through the man credited with the accolade of wisest man ever, i.e. Solomon, and you think of the impacts 
of isms and the cry of minimalists as you hear what he has to say. And this is what he wrote, supposedly the wisest man who ever lived, in a book called Ecclesiastes, which is not great bedtime reading. And our previous dog, not this one or the one before, but the one before that, once hate a couple of pages of Ecclesiastes and then demolished a whole pack of Rennies because the dog couldn't even digest what she was reading. That's serious. It's true, isn't it? Ate a pack of Rennies after, after eating the pages of Ecclesiastes. Here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. This is from the message version. Everything is meaningless. Now there's a word to brighten your Sunday morning. And he, he actually uses it 33 times. Meaningless. And he goes on to say, which is one of my favourite parts of the book of Ecclesiastes in verse 15 of chapter 1, life's a corkscrew. This is the message version, I love it. Life's a corkscrew that can't be straightened. A minus that won't add up. But we spend most of our lives trying to straighten the corkscrew that can't be straightened instead of just using it to take the cork out the bottle of wine and then life feels so much better. If you make your life a corkscrew... To open the wine, you'll find some life instead of, instead of the meaningless disaster. I said to myself, I know more and I'm wiser than anyone before me in Jerusalem. I've stockpiled wisdom and knowledge. What I've finally concluded is, and this goes back to last week and our experts and expertise and who is and what is it, that so-called wisdom and knowledge are mindless and witless. <laughs> Nothing but spitting in the wind. Get this, much learning earns you much trouble. I've learned that the last two years. Much learning earns you much trouble. The more you know, the more you hurt. The question then is not in regards to our white paint on a canvas. The question is not what is there, but the question is what do you see? The question then with the canvas of life is not what is there, but what do you see? Whoa. Now, in all honesty, I'm tempted to think that Solomon had seen this video <laughs> when he was beginning to write the book of Ecclesiastes, and hence the reason he started it out meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless and questioned about the pain that comes when you know some stuff. Because I know my reaction to seeing a lot of this stuff about the minimalist heart movement produced the same reaction in me. And my first reaction was meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. You sort of lose the will to live if you're supposed to engage with that as an understanding of life. But as I've already said to you, there is a factor in this that's not about what is there, but about what you see. So, is what I see a 20.6 million dollars? Let me just rub that in. Seriously, 20.6 million dollars. What causes some? Is my question? What causes somebody to place that amount of value on an image that you and I would dismiss and either put in the bin or at best take to the charity shop, hoping that'll get two quid for it? Something made the buyer put value on white on a canvas. You see, 
My question then, is what you see a revelation? Or is it perhaps a reflection of who you are? Remember the guy in the first trailer who says, I like the picture because somehow in his failure, he saw a reflection in the nothingness of the picture that was about him, but no solution, no meaning. Or is it about a projection? Could it be, and this is part of the process, that onto that blank thing you project what it is and who it is that you are so you put value on it because you see yourself in what appears to be nothingness but something is being projected which is what sets the scene. So I have a question with that from my Christianity perspective. Is the Christ I see a revelation or is the Christ I think I see simply a reflection of my upbringing, my teaching, my isms? Or is he even a projection? Because I fear that most images of the God who I now feel that I know are projections that people put onto him. So the same pettiness, the same anger, the same judgmentalism, the same dismissiveness, the same demands, the same requirements are projected onto the image of God. Because remember, none of us have seen him. We are talking, in essence, about a blank canvas. And to some degree, regardless of what a thing truly is, what you see it to be is what will create your reaction to it. What do you think you see? What do you want to see? Your perception of what you are seeing and hearing in this movie clip that we just watched is going to differ depending on how you see your own life experience reflected in the comments. So for some of you, it's still utter absurd stupidity and they're talking a lot of tosh. But to some of you, your experience is reflected in the comments. You see, your perception of what you're seeing in this clip is going to be, for some of you, a reflection of your own life experience. To those who feel that they have had their life painted in every detail and feel that their life is a cluttered canvas of everybody else's ideas, you are going to see it differently to those who do not perceive their canvas to have been cluttered by the hand of outside influences. So we have a divided house. You see, some of you, your canvas has been so cluttered by everybody else's thing that now the idea of it being blank is heaven. It's like, don't give me your paint splashes and your pictures and your ideals and your projections. I want the freedom of knowing that in this canvas, which is my life, it is not being dictated by your paint splashes, by the paint splashes of isms and religions that clutter the canvas and then we can't see God for the ism. We can't see faith for the belief. I love the statement that there defines the whole idea of minimalist. What you see is what you see. When I first heard that, I had to listen to it several times because I thought that's the stupidest, dumbest thing I've ever heard in all my life. 
She went into raptures. But the more I thought about it, I thought, do you know what? What you see is what you see. So the question becomes, what is it that you see? And perhaps the purest way for life to become what it's supposed to be is not to see what you see because somebody gave you that image, but to see what you see because from the blankness and the emptiness, you begin to reflect and see a revelation of an image speaking back to you. You see, I don't believe the guy who paid 20.6 million for the white on, on canvas saw white on canvas. Now, it's beyond me what he saw. I still wouldn't buy it. I wouldn't buy it for 20p. But he saw something that was a revelation to his own life. Could it be then that it is more in our interests, in our pursuit of God and the Christ and self and spirituality and meaning to be given nothing? A blank sheet. Could it be that all that society has done is cluttered the canvas to where there is a longing because we can't see beyond what we've been given? We had some comments on there. These artists began with these ideas as a rejection of. And all of our isms become as a rejection of. We're all where we are because of a rejection of. And I love what she said about the painting. See, the issue she said with these kind of paintings is you have to do a lot more work in some ways. When you're looking at simply a square of white paint, you have to do a lot more work. And that's what we don't like because we like the security of somebody having told us what we should see and what the painting is. Now, there's a wonderful, wonderful fairy story about that that we were all raised with that we know that's about that very thing and it's about the emperor's new clothes. It's about when the boy says, but he's naked, but everybody's saying, no, he isn't, no, he is not. So can you see how onto that canvas there had been an image painted that they now believe and so they were unable to see the naked truth and I think we're in a time in society where we are unable to see the naked truth we can be in a place spiritually where we're unable to see the naked truth my whole ministry is about getting you to the point where you can see the naked truth and what you see is what you see but you see if you're into an ism you can't be comfortable with that because you say no you have to see it like this so you're not allowed that what you see is what you see. But I want to tell you, it's a good place, it's a safe place, and it's the place of real spirituality. It can be rightly said that anything requiring interpretation can quickly deteriorate into pretentiousness. And this can be responsible for the creation of collective delusion as hopefully illustrated in our previous talks by some different name tags like identity, protective, cognition. A lot of people who will talk about that white painting have simply become pretentious because they are now into idealism and have not understood what the idealist sees in the blank painting. And the pretentiousness comes in. And that's why for centuries... People like you and me were prevented even from reading the Bible. We had to go through the priest. 
And there was a pretentiousness because anything requiring interpretation quickly deteriorates into pretentiousness to experts like the experts in the law that Jesus encountered that we talked about last week. And this can lead to the classic isms scenario where we no longer see others as questioners, we see them as unbelievers. We no longer have companions in a quest, we have enemies to a conclusion. We no longer have difference of opinion, we have heretics. We no longer have curiosity, we have conformity. Isms tend to fill the whole canvas and create present and present uh, and, and to create present boundaries or dogmas which will either rabidly defend or to which we will not admit like tribe over truth. But every ism creates a boundary, a dogma. I do like the idea of the minimalist mindset when its objective is order, simplicity, and harmony. Order, not in the legalistic sense, but in the creative sense, like the universe. Simplicity, not in the naive sense, like, well, just don't bother me with all that, but simplicity in the reductive sense. In other words, let's just find what truly matters. Like Paul tried to encourage us in 1 Corinthians 13 when he said, when you strip away everything that's just stuff, only three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Harmony, but not in the compliant sense, but in the flow sense. Not that, well, we have to agree together to save trouble, but in the flow sense, we are going somewhere. I understand why the minimalist wants to represent a scenario absent of people and absent of life because that's where it gets messed up. Why they want to do just emotionless forms because this will draw you into something beyond. So if you're one who has been overburdened with meaning, you are very likely to find a place for the existence of no meaning. Let me say that again, it's very important. If you are one who has been overburdened with meaning, you're very likely to find a place for the existence of no meaning. Do you know who the most avid atheists are? They are the ones who've been overburdened with meaning, pressured with religion, pressured with ideas, pressured to conform, and so they want to find a place for the existence of no meaning because it's a reaction to having been overburdened with meaning. I'm trying in my ministry at this stage of my life not to overburden you with meaning but to accept there may be a place for the existence of no meaning, a simplicity that is wonderful, that allows the white picture to let you see what you see. See the issue of value and worth. Who would pay? Who would pay $20.6 million for that thing? Who would pay the $200,000 of our first clip for simply the white square? But you see, we begin to place value on that which represents a corrective view to our past or current influence state. We value it because it has meaning beyond what appears. It can become misrepresented and we can miss the point, just like in Jesus' time, his disciples were obsessed with, will you restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? They'd missed the point. So some want the provision of definitive detail. Others want the space for creative energy. Can I suggest that both can play a part? 
So where does this leave us? And where does it leave us in terms of the gospel? So we thought we'd finish off with a bit of a comedic look at the excesses and freakiness of uh, perspectives and perceptions of being a minimalist. <clears throat> when really the point is how to become and how to be a minimalist without becoming bound in the dogma of minimalism. I love some of the statements there. What does it mean to be a minimalist? Having the maximum amount of minimalism is the key to being a good minimalist. Brilliant. Happiness isn't found in things, it's found in depressing emptiness. Confucius never said that, but he definitely thought it. And I love what he says about nature violates its true nature with how cluttered it gets. You see, what I'm trying to show you here, when the thing drifts to an ism, it becomes binding, ridiculous. We can't even see the world through eyes that fully comprehend and engage with what is reality and truth. So I wanted to finish up just a little bit by saying what is, what is it to be minimalist? Here's, here's how it's described in the art form. The pretentious form of art stripped in its artwork and any form of meaningful, symbolic, emotional and personal content supposedly to explore the essence and substance of things. However, the minim that, that's, sorry, that's minimalism. So minimalism is the pretentious form of art stripped in its artworks of any form of meaningful, symbolic, emotional and personal content supposedly to explore the essence and substance of things. However, the minimalist philosophy glorifies a style in which it all comes down to the simplest and most necessary elements. The goal was to reduce the subject to essentials that were all functional, thus creating void spaces and a sense of freedom. See, when you get the ist rather than the ism, it begins to cast a new light upon it and makes you less afraid or less bound into the idea that this is stupid because you realize what it's creating is the necessity of being free from an ism. The items are honest in terms of being exactly what they look like delivering nothing more than they promise. As a result, its objects blurred the line between dimensional perspective in painting and sculpture, and I believe it does the same thing in spirituality. It blurs the lines between dimensional perspectives and allow us to see some amazing things, like even space is important, even darkness is as important as light. Principles like that, that we've resisted and fought against, and therefore we have a cluttered canvas rather than one that what you see is what you see and you can see. By the end of the 1950s and early 1960s, a group of artists previously linked to abstract expressionism shifted their creative course towards the geometric abstraction of minimalism, much like I've done in my faith. However, turning away from such a successful art movement at the time seemed like a real challenge and drew a lot of attention from the public and critics. And I can say amen to that, but I might have found be a minimalist preacher. So here's how I want to wrap it up with you. Are we in need of a new kind of minimalist 
when it comes to God and the gospel. As our canvas becomes so cluttered by the interference of others and isms that we are no longer afforded the freedom to see what we see. Was Jesus the minimalist painting held in contrast against the expressed legalism confusing the image of the one, the true, the honest, the authentic, the white canvas of great worth? I would say, take a fresh look at Jesus. Think of the strength of image implanted in us of what Jesus looks like. Just think about that right now. And you can't escape the tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, bearded image that has been sewn into you in the cluttered canvas. And so the same is with God and our images of God. I call that Jesus now the Swedish Jesus. He's not Middle Eastern, he's Swedish. And his message is, you must be born again. See what I did there? See what I did there? The Swedish Jesus, you must be born again. But what's also interesting is that Abba from Sweden. And Jesus' Jewish name for his father was Abba. So I think there's a conspiracy going on here that's been initiated by the Swedish that in code is telling you that Abba comes from Sweden and from all the paintings you've seen, Jesus is a Swede. See, maybe the value of the seemingly empty canvas is greater than we ever imagined. Maybe, as we've understood through quantum physics, it's actually full of invisible forms because the empty thing in quantum physics we know is not empty it's full of invisible forms waiting to be observed by the seeker and that within those forms is the power of creation and the energy of potentiality maybe a god freed from the clutter of our human projection can reveal to us a healthier and holier who L-I-E-R, image of Jesus, and realign us with what is really, truly beautiful about this gospel story. In Scripture, there are a couple of things that I'm finishing with. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, who do they, men, say that I am? But then he turned to them and said, but who do you say I am. He was looking for a revelation, not a reflection, not a projection, a revelation. And when Peter said, you're the Christ, he said, you're blessed because flesh and blood, things, stuff, didn't show you this. The canvas that you had cluttered didn't show you this, but you've had a revelation that now into the whiteness of what you see, you've understood the Christ is in that picture. And so one more verse from Matthew because I'm a preacher and I'm in church and I'm supposed to. Jesus replied, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, now you can't get more minimalist than that. Jesus was pushing us to minimalist thinking in everything. If you just have faith the size of a 
mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. An impossibility for the nothingness to remain nothing. Did you get that? An impossibility for the nothingness to be nothing. An impossibility for the nothing to be seen as nothing. Somehow on the white canvas now, what you see is what you see. And what you see is good. And what you see is really God when that's where you start. And when you come to that point, that's when you get past the isms and you're able to fully embrace that love really does win. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you are listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>